0: There is no more exciting thing than to come up and be able to preach after a baptism. So, super excited for Dave. 10,000 hours. Malcolm Gladwell uh, has a theory and has written a book on this theory that if one was to want to master a certain trade, hobby, activity, that it's going to take about 10,000 hours of focused attention and preparation in order to achieve that goal. And based on um, a little bit where we are, like, let's be honest, we're going to eat, we're going to sleep, there's going to be some other things that that are going to take up our time. The time frame that he gives for that 10,000 hours is about 10 years. Now, he also went on to say that this 10,000 hours is not devoid of talent and capacity. That these are also important aspects, important characteristics if one is going to master a certain skill. So for example, I could put 10,000 hours of focused attention, effort, training into being the best offensive lineman I could be. But my capacity is this. I am 5'9", 165 pounds. So there is going to be a limit to my capacity, no matter how much time, energy, and effort I put into things, that I'm not going to be able to achieve a certain skill. But there still is this reality that if we are going to be who God has created us to be, it is going to be focused attention, attention, A focused training over a period of time. And the reality is also this, that in our world today of reels, YouTube shorts, stories, we like to consume information and wanna see transformation happen in a microwave. Even for me, if I'm going to watch a YouTube video on how to do something, if I go through the choices and I see that one is 18 minutes long And one is six minutes long. Which one are you going to choose? Six minutes, right? Let's condense this thing. And if you got a short on it, I'm going to choose that option. Because we want to consume things quickly. We want to see growth and transformation happen quickly. And when we think about long, extended time, that can sometimes be difficult for us to even want to engage in. Today, as we get into our passage... We're going to see Jesus' focused attention, his 10,000 hours. We're going to see the results of that. But we want to pay attention to what happens in his quiet preparation. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you have your Luke books, go ahead and open to page 30. I think page 30 is where we're going to start. Go ahead and open to page 30. If you don't have these, if you're new, we are using these up until Easter. If you scan the QR code on the back of the seat or in the lobby, you can order one. They're five bucks. We've got a few more of them remaining. But it's just a way for us to read scripture, to bring it with us, and then to also take notes on the side. So um, if you have that or if you're interested in that, go ahead and and order that or pull them out now. We are going to be in Luke chapter 4, verse 14 is where we're going to start today. Luke 4 14 says this Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirits, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues and being praised by everyone. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll, the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found a place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recover sight of the blind, to set to free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. This is the declaration as he reads Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, which is what that section is. He is declaring his mission publicly. In the last two weeks in preparation for this, we saw Jesus' preparation. First, we saw his baptism. And then after that, last week, Daniel talked about his temptation and his battle against the enemy in the desert. And both of these things played an important role in his preparation to be able to proclaim his public ministry. First, at his baptism, we see his father's affirmation. As the heavens opened and he said, this is my son and who I'm well pleased We see the strength that he gained in the desert, in silence, in solitude, and during fasting, as he gained strength, as he combated the enemy. And we also see here, and what's important for us to pay attention to that we don't see, is his quiet preparation, his 10,000 hours. We see the result of that. We see that he's able to be in silence and solitude and fast for 40 days. We see that he was able to to obey God and be baptized. But as a reminder, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, which means he was a teacher. And to be a teacher to be a Jewish rabbi meant that he had to be the top of his class because the way school worked back in the Jewish system was this, that boys would go to school and at that time it was just boys that went to school. And as they would go, the, the more they excelled the longer they stayed. So if it's something where you struggled with school or you weren't that great of a student, eventually you would drop out and go and learn the family trade. But the best of the best would continue on and they would become rabbis and teachers. And in that preparation time, they would memorize the entire Old Testament. They would have it put to memory. They would spend time in focused prayer and preparation. So when Jesus quotes scripture back to Satan in the deserts. He's doing that because of his hours of training, his years of training and preparation for his ministry. He knew the scroll of Isaiah well, so he opened it. He knew what that meant. Quiet preparation, knowing and preparing for this. And even though he was the top of his class and even though he had put in all of that time, energy, and effort, the reality is also this. We don't want to miss what's in verse 14. As he returned to Galilee, he did so in the power of the Spirit. And I think it would be important for us to highlight or circle that in the power of the Spirit because Luke is being very intentional here. What Luke is wanting us to see and understand, what he's wanting the readers and the hearers of his gospel to do is to think back of when was the last time someone was described in the power of the Spirit. Specifically, Moses and Elijah and then also John the Baptist were three people that they would have recognized and remembered that when they did mighty works, the Spirit of God is with them. And what Luke is setting the scene for here is Jesus in the same way as Moses, in the same way as Elijah. These people that we look up to and respect as they did things in the power of the Spirit, so Jesus is doing the same now. It's also important for us to remember that this same truth is available for us today. That at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, we are now able to operate and move in the same way. And we're going to talk about our mission and Jesus' mission. But we are able to operate in that, with the same spirit that was on Jesus here as he went into Galilee. The same spirit that was with Moses and Elijah is the same spirit today. And that power that we get because of the Spirit's work in our lives Yes, we have our part to play, but there is a role that God plays through his spirit, and Jesus has that spirit with him. And he returns to Galilee, and as he goes to Galilee, things start going really well. People are praising him, he's teaching in their synagogues, his following starting to grow. And this is a pattern that we're going to see, even in our text today, as we read on. This, as Jesus' popularity would grow, usually things would happen, or he would make a choice that would take things in another direction. So here, as his popularity is growing, his ministry is growing, what does he do? He returns home. When was the last time you went home? Maybe over the holidays you went back and you were with your family. Or maybe a group of your high school friends got together. Maybe for you, over the last little bit, you've returned maybe to your home church. What has that experience been like? It was similar for Jesus. So for me, as I was thinking through this in my preparation, I thought, so I grew up in the west side of Indianapolis and I grew up at a church called Chapel Rock Christian Church. And if I was to go back to Chapel Rock Christian Church, and I've been back a handful of times over the last decade, but as I go back, um, most people there don't see me as a 38-year-old married man with three kids. Most of the time, they see me as the punk middle schooler who had a hard time sitting still, or the five-year-old that was a little bit too rambunctious that we had to call his parents once or twice or more to make sure that he was able to obey. Because the reality is when we return home, it is hard for those, it is difficult for those who've seen us grow up to see us as we are now matured because there's been a time gap. And as much as we want them to see us as we are now, the reality is they probably see us as we are were. The same was true for Jesus as he returned to his hometown of Nazareth. Now I did some looking to kind of figure out how many people would have been in his town at this point. And I got some different numbers, but about the median number that I got is in the time of Jesus, the town of Nazareth probably had a total of 400 people, which if you look in this room, that's about what's in this room right now. About 400 people in the entire town. It was small. It was a back roads town. And Nathaniel, one of the apostles in John's gospel, says this. He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Because Nazareth was not a well-thought-of place. It was small. It was back roads. So these people would have known Jesus. The people in the synagogue would have known who he was. And even though he was a gifted person, even though he had excelled to the top of his class... He still was Jesus. And we read in Matthew's account, he says, now, aren't his brothers and sisters here? So again, there's a familiarity with him that is going to make his ministry difficult there. So when he gets up to stand, again, it said it was his regular practice. His regular practice, he goes to synagogue on on Sabbath. He stands up, does his regular thing. And what he reads, we're going to read again, Is important, but it's not exactly what he reads, it's what he says afterwards. So let's remind ourselves what he says, because again, what they read here is fine, but what he says afterwards is what's controversial. So again, Luke 4 18 and 19 says this The Spirit of of the Lord is on me, because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the release to the captives, to to recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, on reading this, there would have been a resounding amen. Yes, that's what we want to hear. We are glad. We believe that the Messiah is coming and that the Messiah is going to do these things, that he is going to, be on, uh, he is going to set the oppressed free. He is going to recover the sight from the blind. We are going to feel the year of the Lord's favor. And reminder, Jesus' mission was to proclaim the kingdom of God or heaven, that it was at hand, and here we see him spell that out a little bit more. And it might be helpful, again, in the margin there, right over there, major theme in Scripture. And one of the major themes in Scripture is this, that God has a heart for those who are overlooked, who are outcasted, who are unable to help themselves. This is a major theme that we see through Scripture. That if you start in the Old Testament, in the history books, if you go to the prophets as you read through the Psalms and the Proverbs, to Jesus' ministry and into the letters after Jesus is gone, one thing that we read and that is very clear is that God has a heart for those who cannot help themselves. And as the Jewish people are hearing this, they are excited about it. Because again, they are living right now under Roman captivity. So they, they, had, they lived in Jerusalem, they had their synagogues, but the Roman government was over top of them and was oppressing them at that time. And so as they're reading this, they're, yes, that's exactly what we want. We, we, we believe this, we need this, because we are feeling oppressed now. But for Jesus' mission, it's good for us to remember that his mission was not for the elites, but for the overlooked. And we may be sitting here thinking those same things. Yes, we need that. I want the year of the Lord's favor. There's things I'm struggling with, and Jesus does want to heal us from those things. Jesus does want to set us free from those things. But it's important for us to remember that Jesus' ministry is not for the elite, but for the overlooked. And as we go and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, we need to keep that in mind. So what what does Jesus do next? We read in verse 20. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today as you listen, this scripture is fulfilled. Mic drop. This is the part that would have caused problems. Because they agreed with that, but what made it difficult is now he's saying, And I am that Messiah. I am am that messiah now also i think again context is helpful so i went through and i did some research and the miv niv application commentary gave me this kind of outline of what a typical jewish synagogue service would look like and again if you've been around here we kind of have a normal flow to our worship services and the same was true in jesus's day and this is kind of how it would go you could take a picture of it or again it will be on the notes if you want to write it down but for in order for a Jewish synagogue uh, service to happen, this is what the order of it. First, ten men had to be present. If ten men weren't there, if there was eight, you couldn't have synagogue. Ten men. Normally, this would happen. This would not normally always. This would happen on Saturday on the Sabbath. Ten men would have to gather. Once ten, at least ten men were gathered, then they would recite the Shema, which was a prayer that they prayed from Deuteronomy six four through nine. This would have been something they would have started every day with, so it would have been a very familiar text. After, as a congregation, they recited the Shema, then they would do a set prayer. And as they did a set prayer, this again would be something from the Psalms or the Proverbs, something that they were familiar with. Then, excuse me, one of the rabbis would stand up, and he would be handed a a scroll. And the scroll would have first been the Torah or the law. And he would have read that. Then, they would have handed them a scroll from one of the prophets. And he would have read that. Now, as he's reading, he would read it in the original Hebrew, but there would be a translator that would translate it into Aramaic, which was the common language of the day. Again, important to recognize, because again, the elite would know the Hebrew. The common people would know the Aramaic. So they would make sure they translated it to Aramaic. And then after they got done reading... And again, another important thing, when they handed them these scrolls, there was usually one set of scroll, there was one scroll per synagogue. So right now, while we have these Luke books or your phone app, the Bible is so accessible. It was not the case then. And the the scroll of Isaiah would have been a large one, because there's like 64 different chapters in the book of Isaiah alone. And Jesus knew exactly where to go. And after he was done reading it, he handed back to his attendant and he sat down. And again, that's what, because in that day, the rabbi would teach from a sitting position. They would not teach standing up. So again, everything up to this point is gravy. This is the normal order of service. Everything's going well. Read a scripture that we're really excited about. Sits down and says, I am that dude. And they go nuts. And all of a sudden, this boy that they looked up to, that they loved, sweet little Jesus, now is claiming to be the Messiah. And what do they want to do? They want to throw him off a cliff. Man, how things have changed. Man, how things have changed. As If we were to continue reading, we would see Jesus' ministry. We're going to talk about that here in a second. But before we get there, Again, let's go back to verse 14 and 15. Remember I told you his ministry was thriving? Things were going really well. People were praising him, and now they're ready to throw him off a cliff. And the truth of the matter is this. The message of Jesus, the mission Jesus was on, is a one that is polarizing. It's polarizing. For some people, this is going to be good news. And for others it's going to be a bit too disruptive. For some, the message that Jesus is going to teach, his mission is going to feel like a cup of cold water on a hot day. Or for us today, a cup of hot coffee or tea on a cold morning. It's going to be exactly what they need. And for others, and we see it here, it's going to be a rock in their sandal. It's going to be too disruptive. And this is something that we are going to see as we continue to look through the gospel of Luke. That there are some that are going to receive this message with great joy. And there are others who are going to leave very frustrated because it wasn't the message that they were hoping for. So Jesus, in that light, in the next little bit, we're not going to read that in verse in Luke, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a summary so after he does this, they want to throw him off the cliff. He disappears and walks away and continues on to the next town. And when he goes there, he goes, and this is now a week later because we're on the Sabbath again, right? So he leaves. A week later, he's in this town, and he heals a man of an evil spirit on the Sabbath. And again, that's the part. Healing man of an evil spirit? Great. People are good with that. He setting the, the, the captives free, but you did it on the wrong day. You're not supposed to do it on Sabbath. That's work. Does he know what he's doing? He's a rabbi. He should know this. But he's continuing to be a little bit disruptive. Then he goes to Peter's house. We're going to read more about Peter in the coming months. But as he goes to Peter's house, Peter's actually married and his mother-in-law is sick with a fever. So he heals her of her fever. And then after that happens, everyone's bringing the sick, the lame, and Jesus is healing a ton of people. His ministry and people are loving him. Again, Went from away, now it's starting to grow again. It's starting to grow. He's becoming more and more popular. And then if you go to verse 42, we see how Jesus responds again to this popularity. Verse 42, so on page 34 of the book here, it says this. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to... To, get him from, to keep him from leaving. But he said to them, It is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in their synagogues in Judea. So again, if you get a chance, circle that word deserted place. We're gonna see that a lot in Luke's gospel. We've already actually seen it once. Again, so that Greek word there is Aramos, which means a solitary place. And this is where Jesus would go to be alone with his Father. When his ministry was gaining popularity, when things were going well, he would often get away early in the morning, late at night, or through the night to a deserted place to be alone with his Father. <clears throat> we see in Jesus' ministry a balance here of deep, and wide. Now, a lot of churches or authors will call this, there's different things, maturity, how do we reach the nations, but also make, the, make sure that we're mature and deep. And this is, as a church leader, this is, if I'm being transparent with you, this is a hard balance to strike. Because we want to make sure that we are a place that if you are exploring Jesus, that this is a place that you can come and you can explore and have some of your questions answered. We want to make sure this is a place that if someone moves into town or a new neighbor comes and they're looking for a church, that you can invite them, that they'll feel welcomed in the parking lot, that they'll get something warm to drink, that they'll be able to worship, hear a good teaching, understand God's word more, that they have kids, that their kids can go be taken care of, but not just watched after, but discipled as well. We want to be a place for that. But at the same time, we don't desire for you to stay right where you're at now. We want you to continue to grow. We want you to deepen your faith. And to strike the balance of are you a church that's able to go wide and reach the nations and be those for for people who don't know Jesus, but also are you able to provide avenues for us to be able to grow in our faith and mature is a tough balance to strike. For us, the way that that happens here is we encourage you to be involved in a small group or a Bible study where you can be in a relationship with other people and you can grow. As Jesus did here, we want to invite you into the Aremos. So we have retreats that you can go on. Treats of silence and solitude, simplicity. This next weekend I'm leading a group, we're going to do a fasting retreat where we explore the discipline of fasting. Because we want to provide space for you to grow and mature in your faith. We do the same thing with the kids. There are retreats that they can go on. There's camps that they can go because we do want to be a place where you can bring your friends and you can come and if you have questions, you can ask questions. But we also want to make sure that there's a place for you to grow in depth and grow in maturity and learn that if we are going to be on mission, we also need to be able to be fueled and refilled as Jesus was. In the quiet. In the quiet preparation so that we can be on mission to the world around us. So our hope here is that everyone will discover their purpose and their mission. As a reminder, Jesus' mission was to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and to call people to repentance. And that mission eventually led him to pay a penalty for us that we could not pay, to die on a cross and to conquer death so that we could live with God eternally. That was his mission. We have a unique purpose and mission as well. And as we've talked, Daniel's talked about this before, our purpose and our mission is a combination of our gifts, passions, and context. So your unique gift is going to be different than the person who's sitting a few seats over from you. Because your gifts, your passion, and your context is going to be different. And we hope that you will be able to discover and to live into what that is. But it is important for us to remember that there is a central theme that we need to keep in mind. And the central theme for all of us, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, is found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. This is the great commission that we get from Jesus. So as Jesus is about ready to leave, this is what he gives his followers He says, This, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is our call to continue the mission of Jesus, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, baptizing people, as we saw today, teaching them to obey and observe all that Jesus commanded. And keeping in mind that Jesus is with us through it all. That's the central theme for all of us. No matter what our gifts, passions, context is, if we are followers of Jesus, we are called to continue that mission. And sometimes that mission means taking the first initial step of obedience and baptism. Saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. But it doesn't stop there. Then we continue forward. And not only do we do that, But then he calls us to teach people to obey all that he has commanded. And if we're honest and transparent with each other, for us as Westerners, that is usually the most difficult part of that, because we like to do things the way that we want to do them. Obedience is something that is difficult for us to do what other people have called us to do. But as followers of Jesus, we are submitting our lives to him and obeying all that he has commanded us. But are we just supposed to say, obey? Obey. No. Obedience is important. But the end of the verse is where we rest. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So yes, we are called to obey. Yes, we are called to proclaim good news. But through it all, we are also called to remember and to remind others that he is with us. Always. To the very end of the age. So that brings us to our daily training. This is our action step for the week. Take the next step in your discipleship to Jesus. So maybe for you that means that God has put it on your heart that you need to be baptized. That that is something that you need to either be obedience in baptism or that for the first time you need to surrender your life to Him and take that step and make Him Lord of your life. Maybe for you, that means that you need to start spending some time in the aremos, that you need to spend some time in, in silence and solitude with God, working on those 10,000 hours, working, praying through what it means to obey everything that Jesus has commanded you to do. Maybe for you, your next step of discipleship is to share the good news of the kingdom of God with those that are around you. That word go in the, in the um, verse there in Matthew Literally means as you go. So not a special trip. Sometimes those are important. But more importantly, as you go, share the good news. So what is your next step of discipleship that you need to take this week? I would like to invite the band back up. And we're going to do things a little bit different today. Normally, what we do is we'll get up, we'll sing a few songs, and then at the end, we have people who are up here that will pray with you. Today, we're going to do things a little bit differently. And I would go ahead and also now, if you're on our prayer team, if you'll come forward now at this point. And right now, if the Spirit of God is stirring something inside of you, and you know that next step of discipleship that you need to take you want to make that decision right now. There are people that will be up here that will pray with you. If you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, to get baptized, come up and let's do that now. If you want to come up and pray with someone of, I want to understand what it means to spend time in the Aremos. I don't like to be by myself. And the idea of spending time alone with God scares me to death. There will be someone that will be up here to pray with you for that. Or maybe there's a specific person that you have in mind that you know God has put on your heart and there's people up here that can pray for you this week as you encounter that person that you will share the good news of the kingdom with them. Let's take that step now. So go ahead, stand up. If you feel the spirit moving, please come forward. Allow us to pray with you. Take that step of faith as we sing this next song. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you invite us, Lord, out of our comfort zones, that you invite us into places that are disruptive, Lord. And I pray right now that your spirit would move in this place and that as we, as we sing now, Lord, that you would move and that people would respond and that they would come and either make a decision to follow Jesus, make a decision to, make, to spend more of that 10,000 hours in your presence preparing for the mission that you have called us to be. Father, that we would respond to the call to share what we know, to share the good news of the kingdom of God to those who are around us. Lord, I pray right now that if you, as you move, that we would not be hesitant, Lord, that we would be bold and courageous, and that your spirit would move. We love you. We trust you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.